This is all theater. This is all just political theater. Political theater. Political theater. Pure political theater. Theater. Political theater. The nefarious, significant, and protracted political, political, political theater for political theater's sake. I yield back. From Washington, this is Political Theater. Roll Call's review of the spectacle of politics on Capitol Hill and across the country. I'm Jason Dick. Congressman Mario Diaz-Balart is a Florida Republican. He has represented Southern Florida's 25th district for uh, nine terms. He's in his ninth term now and uh, widely respected across the aisle. Also, the the first member of Congress to make public his diagnosis for COVID-19, the disease caused by the coronavirus. And he has agreed to talk to us a little bit about his experience and and what's going on down uh, in his district and also in Congress. Uh, Congressman Mario Diaz-Balart, thank you for coming on Political Theater. Thank you, sir. Again, I, uh, that's a distinction I would have uh, given up any day, right? Being uh, <laughs> the first member of Congress to, to get this uh, this uh, disease. And and let's just talk about that. I mean, you spoke with uh, your your brother Jose on uh, NBC uh, shortly after it, you you got it and said that it had hit you like a ton of bricks. And you know, you'd noticed it after voting in the House uh, on one of the relief packages, I believe on. Uh, in March. And uh, let's just talk about like what those early days were like. I mean, what went through your head? You know, you quarantined in Washington. That must have been just kind of lonely and a little scary. You know, it's interesting. I had decided to self-quarantine at the advice of our family doctor back home in, in Miami uh, because my, my wife was totally healthy, but but she has some pre-existing conditions, including respiratory issues. So speaking to our doctor and just remember that a month and a half ago, whenever this was, it was a different world, right? Washington had tourists and hundreds or thousands of people. I had meetings and hearings and contact with dozens upon dozens of people. So speaking to our doctor, he said, look, if I were you just because of your wife's uh, you know, pre-existing conditions, I would stay quarantined for two weeks before you come home. That was Friday, Friday evening when I spoke to him. Friday night, I had meetings, and then we had that late night vote. Uh, Saturday morning, I, got, uh, I was going to self-quarantine, so I got groceries. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, so I felt great. Uh, Saturday evening, it was just like, you know, all hell broke loose. I, I was shivering. I, everything hurt, you know, your joints, even my skin. Uh, I was cold, shivering, uh, fever, obviously, and a pretty intense cough. Uh, I was tested the next day because of that. And uh, as you know, we have those uh, physicians that are in the Capitol. Thank God for that. Yeah. And went, went to see them. They tested me. And sure enough, uh, the results came in a few days later and I, I had the coronavirus. Uh, so yes, I spent almost three weeks uh, in quarantine uh, by myself in DC in the apartment. Um, but I look, what I kept thinking is how fortunate I was, and I and I am. The fact that while I was sick and even in the worst moments, I never felt the issue of uh, of, of shortness of breath. I never felt that my heart was in trouble. Um, unlike my uh, my friend and colleague, right, uh, Ben um, McAdams, who who again had to go into the hospital. Um, and so, look, I'm a blessed man uh, considering it. And uh, what I was given, uh, well, the only thing I took the entire time was Tylenol to control the fever. Um, and the thing that kept uh, what was amazing is that when I had that interview on NBC, I started feeling a little bit better, even though you look at that image, I don't look too good. Uh, because the fever started going away, but then it came back. Now, it didn't come back at the same intensity. And I had a low-grade fever for a little bit over two weeks, again, with the cough. But uh, luckily, never had the issue of shortness of breath or difficulty breathing. So you never needed to go to to the hospital for for this. No, fortunately, I didn't. And and um, 
I kept a, a I, I didn't find a thermometer, by the way, in the apartment for about a week. <laughs> uh, um, uh, but I could tell even without the thermometer that the, that the fever was much less after the, the, the first five days were the worst, four or five days and nights. And then after that, it was a low grade fever and a cough. And again, fortunately, fortunately, I, I never had, uh, I never felt that I was at risk other than just feeling pretty lousy for those two and a half weeks. Uh, my my wife, uh, if she had uh, heard that that you know I was in an apartment and couldn't find a thermometer, I think she would just shake her head and say like That sounds like a dude's place." <laughs> it, it, it's uh, yeah, you know, you know. I'll tell you one of the some of the you know the if there's a silver lining, uh, you know, the life in DC is crazy, right? So I, I leave leave the apartment in the, in the morning and I don't come back. I don't see the apartment until late at night. There are, and I have, I stay in a walk-up, one of those old buildings in, in DC with apartments. And uh, there's only a few apartments and it's a, it's a walk-up. I'm on the third floor, very narrow staircase. The two neighbors underneath me, I maybe bumped into them, but I've never even said hi to them because I would see them if I saw them at all. It would be early in the morning when I was running out or late at night when I was coming home. All of a sudden I got a postcard slipped under my door from the two neighbors underneath who, again, I didn't know saying, hey, look, we understand you're sick. Let us know if you need anything. Here are our phone numbers. Uh, don't worry if you have to go someplace. Uh, we will disinfect. And, and, and they were a lifesaver because I was able to get things then delivered to the apartment, but I couldn't leave the actual apartment because I obviously was in quarantine. I couldn't get anybody else sick. And they you know, were amazing. They would get the whatever it was, the package from outside and put it outside my door, uh, walk it up, bring it outside my door, and then uh, you know, call or contact us and being able to get fluids and being able to get uh, some additional food, which was possible because these wonderful neighbors who I had yet to know or meet in person, um, out of the kindness of their heart, just went out of their way to be help- helpful to me. And how are you feeling these days? I feel really, really well. I mean, I'm, I wouldn't tell you that I'm 100%, but I am blessed and I am lucky and I feel really, really well. I, I'm not at the level of of energy Uh, at the end of the day. uh, When it gets to the evening, I start getting tired, uh, which is usually not my style. Um, But that's it. I feel great. And and, uh, look, my thoughts are, because I've been working throughout this process, like like all of us in Congress, and as an appropriator, I've been on the phone and doing that as well and meeting and talking to members of the cabinet, the administration, state and local officials. And um, and what I, what I just keep thinking about, and this is a conversation I've had multiple times, finally was when I was able to come home uh, with my wife, is just how lucky I've been. The fact that, uh, yes, I had it, but I was able to get over it, still kept working, uh, has been involved. And so again, look, I'm, I'm grateful. I'm a very blessed and lucky man. And as you know, there are a lot of people out there who are really, really struggling. They've lost loved ones or they're sick. Uh, or have other issues, you know, losing the businesses that they've worked an entire life uh, to build up. So again, um, all I can, my thoughts are and prayers are with those. And that's why I continue to work to do whatever we can uh, to help those who are having a really rough time. And that's a lot, a lot, it's frankly, most of the country. And you know, you're, you and your colleagues are, are looking at a, a possible vote uh, later on this week, maybe as soon as Thursday on the next relief package and, and possibly a, a short-term rules change to allow either remote voting or proxy voting or something to, to minimize. Uh, how, how do you feel? I mean, are you a little uneasy about the thought of traveling back to D.C. for this? Look, I have my plane reservations. Obviously, I'm going to be exceedingly careful. And again, the issue with me is, is because, uh, you know, I've had it and I'm over it. And I'm, I'm assuming, right, that I have at least some level of, of uh, resistance to this. But obviously, my concern is bringing it back uh, to my wife because, of, again, her, her high risk or anybody else. 
Uh, so I'll just have to be careful. But obviously, uh, you know, you look around and you see those people out there who are the truckers and the farmers who are struggling, but they're doing their job. And uh, so I have absolutely no reluctance. Congressman, you've got a, a reputation for being someone who is not afraid to reach across the aisle, especially to find you know solutions that work you know best for your constituents, whether they're Democrats, Republicans, or, or you know any other party or or independent. Um, on on this, you know, like you know, this is such a singular event in our history, and and it's affected you personally. Has this changed your perspective on on any of the issues that have sort of defined your? public service career, whether it's immigration or healthcare or transportation, anything like that? Look, I don't know if it's changed my perspective other than the fact that, that it, you know, obviously I was taking this issue very seriously. And obviously now uh, I got sick, understanding that I am very careful. And I was one of those that was doing, I thought everything right, washing my hands constantly. And I would also put put disinfectant on my hands every time I, I, I talked to people, I touched the doorknob, et cetera. And I still got sick. Now, one of the, I'll tell you some of the, the interesting things that I've noticed. A few things. First place, the vast majority of members of Congress in, in all of these working calls that I've been on, and it's been constant, um, the vast majority of folks have been, you know, nonpartisan, trying to find solutions, working together. There are always there are always exceptions to that, but but I find that the vast majority of my colleagues, particularly appropriators, by the way, um, their attitude has been, frankly, one of just figuring out ways to move forward and getting things done. I've been a little disappointed, obviously, with the fact that, for example, this um, this replenishing, putting more money, uh, replenishing the funds in the in the PPP, the uh, Paycheck Protection uh, Program, has taken longer than it should have, just because of of uh, the obstructions of the Democratic leadership uh, in the House, mostly. Uh, I'm hoping that we'll have that vote again uh, this week. Uh, I'm looking forward to it because. God knows that people are out there are hurting. And I see this as a situation of, of the countries at war, and we have to do everything and anything that we can as quickly as possible uh, just to get the job done. And so, again, the silver lining is the attitude of most members. I think uh, some of the ugly aspects have been how uh, a few members, uh, I would I would state, you know, as has been reported by the press, the Democratic leadership, uh, particularly the speaker who who have wanted to put other things that may or may not be good, but that are in some cases not related to this emergency into the bill. And they've, again, have been uh, willing to hold it back, uh, which I think is, is grossly responsible. But again, most members, most members I have found are just looking at ways to work together to get this done with the administration, with our state and local officials. And, and that's the way it has to be. Uh, some of the the beaches in Florida are starting to reopen now. Um, you know, like the, the governor uh, said that he was going to, you know, defer to the local officials, and and if they felt it was safe, they should reopen. Uh, what would what would you tell your constituents if they asked you, you know, about about heading to the beach uh, this weekend uh, or this coming week? I look to be exceedingly careful uh, to follow the CDC guidelines uh, of of distance, uh, personal you know distancing uh, between individuals, and making sure that again you're careful. Now, uh, I, I, one of the things that I think uh, is also true is that uh, people, particularly folks who have been uh, you know locked in apartments and, and small homes, et cetera, are you know want an opportunity to to get out if it's done safely. That's absolutely fine. And, and I think that's why it is important to listen to the, obviously the CDC, the federal officials, but also on a case-by-case example of different areas, uh, do things responsibly, safely. Um, uh, but you can't just keep people locked up, in essence, forever. And I keep thinking about those folks who have worked a lifetime to build a business, 
put all their hard effort, their work, their, you know, their elbow grease onto a project and they, they got a small business and all of a sudden they're seeing that just vanish. And, and so that's something that we have to remember. Number two is that we have to remember that all this money that the federal government is putting in. And I think we have to put in as much as necessary, but we have to remember that that's, that's borrowed money. The federal government doesn't have an account for that money. We're borrowing it from our, our children and our grandchildren's future. Uh, and so it's a very delicate balance. And as long as we do things with some common sense and we're careful and we listen to folks uh, who, uh, again, have, you know, the, the, the understand the different communities, uh, that's, I think, the way to, to move forward. So I'm very satisfied. Again, not, I'm not saying that anything is perfect. It isn't. We've never faced this before. But I think that the, the uh, local and state leadership in the state of Florida, for the most part, have done a really, really responsible good job. Well, Congressman Mario Diaz-Bellert, thank you so much for taking some time to talk to us. And uh, please be safe on your uh, trip back to Washington and, and stay healthy. Well, and likewise, stay healthy. This is a very nasty uh, a bug, a, a nasty uh, you know, uh, a disease. And so, yes, we have to take it very seriously. I will be as safe as possible. But I'm looking forward to, again, uh, while we've been doing a lot of work on the, uh, on the phone, there are moments, obviously, that we have to get together and vote. Uh, that's uh, our constitutional responsibility. And I'm hoping that we can get this next package of relief out as soon as possible. Thanks so much for your time, Congressman. Thank you, sir. Take care of yourself. That's going to do it for this episode of Political Theater. Thank you for listening and for subscribing. And if you're not a subscriber, please become one. We even have a roll call newsletter for the podcast that has the added bonus of some of my terrible plays on words and starchy wisdom, plus great photos from our CQ roll call photographers. Thanks again, and we'll be back next week. Political Theater is produced by CQ Roll Call, a leader in nonpartisan policy news and analysis for more than 70 years. CQ Roll Call is owned by Fiscal Note, a global technology and media company.